Hey there, you've reached the voicemail of Molly Ambergie. Sorry that I can't come to the phone right now. I'm currently recording the next episode of the Casually Molly podcast. So hang up your phone, don't leave me a voicemail, and go listen to this episode. It's about to get started. Please, SJ, don't hurt him. Star Trek lingo. I redshirt him. Now don't ask if I'm a Trekkie, just something I picked up. Back up before you test me, you doing way too much. Police gon' come arrest me for fucking your ass up. But then they'll straight up catch me, cause bruh, you just playing suck. There I go again, that rant was non-canon. Through the channel back to regular programming. The alphabet was murdered, all but one letter died. On time, all I could think, where the hell was I? Thought he could get away, but caught that little bugger. But should it be you, man? Use bullets that were rubber. The non-lethal things are mother. Fuckers, they riot. The powerful, you weak on second thought. Don't try it. Actually, don't do shit. Your lazy's the way that goes. So, couch potato? Don't worry if it don't make sense now. That's not what it's about. Stop tripping, learn how. Pause, but then it picked up on my computer. <laughs> oh, you're okay. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, let me. I'm going to switch over to my headphones. Oh, you're good. Take your time. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's what I was trying to. I was trying to pause the music so I could answer the phone, and it just went bonkers. Oh, it's okay. No <laughs> problem. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Heather. It's so nice to talk to you. How are yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks for tracking me down. I I apologize. I ran into Matt the other day, and I was like, "Your friend Heather is so good to me." <laughs> Literally, like. <laughs> I feel like I'm just running. He goes, "Oh, girl, we all are. Don't worry." She yes, this, and this I, is why I, I told I totally get it. I totally understand. And I was even like a week late in like reminding you too, because I was trying to run around and get stuff. It's next week. Like it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so isn't that crazy? I I couldn't oh. even believe it. I was like, and I'm glad we're talking about this too, because this helps with the recording part of it. But mm-hmm. I I just was like, oh my god, like I'm so glad. And then I I had a show that I was hosting on Saturday and then I was hosting at Helium and then I was like oh I thought she's crazy with her show too so I'm yeah. glad it's going well but, yeah do you have a team helping you uh so it's I have just... it's like it's basically me but um I have like a one yeah. though so same same <laughs> no really same so when we got off the phone for our producers meeting all of me wanted to start crying because I was like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and, I, and I called my friend and I was like, help me. Oh my find God. people. So he was able to help me find a director and a sound person, which was huge for me and everything else, you know, I'm trying to handle. But, yeah, that one woman show thing will. <laughs> will take you out and it's like one person. It's well, you know, you, it, it's amazing how much a team, you know, really just helps with your sanity. So. It'll just be a little insane for the next week, and then it'll all be worth it, and it'll be great. Absolutely. Well, Heather, welcome to the Casually Molly podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you. I really, so you sent me your website. I've been, what's nice about doing a phone interview is that I actually can just like pull up my laptop while I'm doing stuff, and Mm -hmm. let me tell you, I'm a little intimidated because you are an accomplished (laughs) Yeah, literally, I, I'm so impressed. Um, for those of you who don't know, when you listen to this, it's going to be on August. Uh, let me take a look here. What's up on Sunday? Wow, that's great, guys. August <laughs> 11th is when this episode is going to come out. Heather Bird Roberts, she is a Chicago-based poet, performer, teaching artist, and author. 
You are also a published author, too, you know, which is yes. something. Mahogany, <laughs> A Love Letter to Black, published in 2016. I mean, how do you fit this all in one lifetime? Like, how does this work? This is amazing. I, a lot of people ask me that question, and I think it's just the way my brain works. Like, I'm constantly moving and going, and I have an amazing support system. So it, it works out some kind of way. And I'm still trying to figure out ways to do more. <laughs> oh, my. But, see, I feel like that's what's so – that's why you're so accomplished is because when you – people, especially in our industry where people are performers and – like, we all wear different hats. Because this mm-hmm. is what about with producing and teaching and writing. And, you know, it's always never enough. <laughs> like, yes. You always want to keep always something more and doing more and um, – Again, I'm so glad you reached out. I know that you and I have a mutual friend through Matt Kearns and your show. Yay, shout out to Matt. <laughs> I know, Matt is the best. We actually talked about you on his episode. That he did oh. He was like, oh, Heather Bird. I was like, oh, she reached out to do an episode. He's like, oh, she's great. Um, <laughs> no, you are Chicago-based. I am. Are you originally from Chicago? I am. I uh, was born and raised in Chicago, and then I left to go to college um, at Cornell College in Mount Vernon, Iowa, and mm-hmm. ended up staying in Iowa for nine years. Um, it was a really great experience just with, you know, getting a great education. I ended up getting my undergrad and master's there, and then I ended up working for the college as well. So wow, I was there for – that's where I met Matt um, in, oh. in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yeah. I gotcha. Now that makes total sense because it's mm-hmm. just funny because, you know – Again, for people who are listening, um, Heather's show is going to be in the Fringe Festival, which we'll get into because I've got that on my notes to discuss. But um, Matt Kearns, who was in our last episode, is the artistic director right now of the St. Louis Fringe Festival. And that includes all different types of artists from all over the country and also parts of the world, too, which is pretty great that this is all coming to St. Louis. And mm-hmm. obviously. Other. We're very lucky to have you come to our city. Um, I'm so uh, excited. <laughs> oh, my gosh, girl. I'm so excited to finally meet you in person after we have an interview. Yay. Um, so, <laughs> yay. So let's talk about how did you decide, you know, being a writer, how did you decide to get kind of into writing and poetry? What brought you into that kind of um, field? I, everyone asked me that question, and my answer is, so strange. So I used to <laughs> I used to hate poetry, like despise poetry. And oh, wow. it wasn't until, well, I, I had this idea that it had to rhyme. And, you know, when you're in school, you learn about Shakespeare. Well, Shakespeare is dope. Don't get me wrong. As I got older, I had um, a, a better appreciation for the amount of work that I don't understand how his brain works just in general. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, but I was younger. I was just like, what is iambic pentameter and what is why do I have to rhyme with the A B A B? I just it wasn't something that I gravitated towards and also I realized as I got older as well that in school I didn't have the opportunity outside of like Gwendolyn Brooks and Langston Hughes I didn't get the opportunity to really see myself in the work that was being presented to me so I didn't have that entry point that was there mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until I was in seventh grade that I I got an assignment and something clicked and I don't know what it was or how, but I could not stop writing in rhythm. Uh, It wasn't even necessarily rhyme, um, like with an A-B-A-B rhyme scheme, but like I I just, I had this flow and I could not stop it. We we were doing poetry and we got to the end of the poetry, you know, lesson or 
curriculum for it, and we had to move on to, like, expository writing. Mm-hmm. And I got my assignment from my teacher, and I turned in my assignment, and she was like, you know, I need you to write differently. And I was like, I can't stop. I don't I don't know what happened. <laughs> a switch was just flipped. Yeah. Um, and then it just, it just kind of went from there. Like, I ended up writing um, our eighth grade poem when I graduated, and then when oh. I got to high school, I didn't get a chance to participate in Louder Than a Bomb, which is the largest youth poetry festival in the world in Chicago. Um, And we have a lot of different locations now nationally, but when I was in high school, we were probably the only one. I'm not entirely sure, but I was like the the student on the sideline that admired the kids that did it because I was also a sports kid, and so I was busy all year round. But were. (laughs) Right, like I am now, right? It hasn't changed. Um, But the cool thing about being at my high school was we were able to start a literary magazine and my friends always tell me don't tell people this I'm corny so I don't care (laughs) but like we started we started a literary magazine called Inhale and then the open mic that we ran to help raise money for the literary magazine was called Exhale. I think it's cute. I think it's cute. I told someone that and they're like don't tell nobody that. Um, (laughs) Now the world knows. But yeah, I just as things just kind of started rolling, and I got to college and started a poetry club and slam team there that competed in Louder Than a Bomb, and then I ended up coaching the team. So things just kind of kept rolling after seventh grade. Yeah, I, well, yeah. it sounds like they did. Um, from, what I <laughs> from your uh, your resume here, like I said, you're a published author. You have all different themes, I can see. And then, of course, we'll get into your show, too. But mm-hmm. uh, I really love your blurb about how it talks about she uses her experiences as a black woman in a variety of spaces to shed light on issues of privilege, love, and familial relationships. Her mm-hmm. work unlocks the opportunity for invisible voices to be heard. And what I think that as artists and especially as writers, what we try to do for an audience is bring those voices to life that maybe the audience wouldn't necessarily get to see you or maybe they're afraid to talk about. So would you like to kind of, we were talking about shedding light. Did you want to maybe talk about some issues that I know it's kind of a general question, but when you started writing, what, what kind of issues did you want that uh, your audience to see that involved privilege and love and familial relationships? Yeah. Well, <laughs> of course, when I was in high school, that's all I wrote about uh, was yeah. love. Uh, Cause that's what all, not maybe not all, but you know, oh, it's I know. just like writing. You know, it's it's the thing that we're all able to connect with and try to figure out and understand. And so it's, I sadly have a three ring binder, three, uh, three inch three ring binder of so many yeah. bad poems. They're they're bad. I was in creative <laughs> writing in high school. I'm sure mine were not a <laughs> not very good. So. But you got you know you have to start somewhere, right? And so. I, you know, had this binder of really bad poems, and then it, it, it evolved when I actually left Chicago. Um, I went to, I had a very interesting um, childhood to where I went to a majority Latinx grammar school, oh, wow. and then went to a majority black high school, and then when I went to college, I went to a predominantly white institution. And okay. so it wasn't until I got to Iowa where I realized my presence caused some sort of disturbance. Oh wow. When I got yeah, when I got to college. So at the time, um the the school was about seven percent student of color and international students. And we only had about 
we say twelve hundred. We never actually got to twelve hundred, but <laughs> we had around twelve hundred <laughs> students there. Um, yeah. So I was usually the only person that was in a classroom um, that was of color. And anytime any sort of issues came up in the in the news or in the material that we we're reading that referred to being black, yeah, the the, the professors and the students you know, thought we had some sort of delegation that we all met up at <laughs> right. uh, once a month and, like, discussed these issues. You know, it was like this thing. And so I was very – I became very, very aware of my presence once I was no longer in a space that reflected my own experience. Sure. And so that's when I started writing about um, just the things that I went through while living in Iowa and realizing just all of that. Um, and then I recently started to unpack my childhood and my relationship with my grandmother, who um, unfortunately had a stroke when I was eight years old. Oh, and wow. ha- she lived for 15 years being completely paralyzed on her left side. Oh, and so, I'm that. yeah, it was, it, was, it was very interesting, like, looking back on it. Um, and so I'm starting to now unpack that, and I'm working on, which will probably be my third book because my second book's gonna be about my mama. My mom. Your third book. Don't mind us. Like, <laughs> I just love how humble you are about this. Which is, I, I'm not trying to make fun of you at all. I just think it's adorable. You're like, oh, I think it's gonna be my third book. I'm not sure. And I'm like, some of us haven't even like brushed our hair today. Like, I'm. <laughs> you I'm know, you got. Fantastic. You just gotta start somewhere. You don't have to brush your hair to write a book, though. Look at that. Uh, no one. No one has to see what your hair looks like. <laughs> But I'm sorry, continue. You're no, right. you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I just, um, yeah, so I started to unpack what that relationship looked like because, unfortunately, uh, I call my grandmother Bada. And so when Bada had her stroke, um, she was a very independent woman, and the stroke stripped her of her independence. And you can only imagine what that does to someone oh, um, who is used to getting up and doing for themselves and now have to rely on other people. And I didn't understand that when I was eight. Um, and all I saw was grandma, grandma just was evil (laughs) and not understanding why, you know, there was, there was this, this hatred that just lived within her and just, and it it wasn't, hatred's not the right word, but, you know, it was just pain that she lived with, not only physically, but mentally, and it affected her personality. And so I'm like unpacking that, um, and then I'm trying to write this book for my mother, um, because I want to be able to write it while she's here so she can see it. Mm-hmm. And, like, my um, my idea is, like, to be able to have a book release and have my mom in the front row. We're going we're gonna to oh. cry the entire time and laugh. Um, yeah. Oh, my God, I love that, because I'm very close with my mom, too. So yeah. I understand exactly how you feel about that. I, I think that's great. I, I think the best way, too, is because, you know, we – we want to pay it forward, but we also want to, we want to also honor our ancestry as well. Yes, so great. It's so want to do intimidating. <laughs> that is that is absolutely. Oh, you are so interesting, and I love it. Um, <laughs> let me. So before we get into your show, I like I said, you published a book called Mahogany: A Love Letter to Black. Let's yes. talk about that because you know you were talking about your third book, but let's talk about your first book. What kind of process was that for you getting a book published? Yeah, I've so my so going back to my grandmother, she's always talked about me being an author. Also, okay, so the first thing she always wanted me to do was be a principal um, and run these schools. Like she used to tell me that every morning when I got up, you're going to school so you can be a principal and run these schools. Like <laughs> the way she said it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my grandmother was also a writer, and so 
that was in me before I even knew it was in me. And I've always wanted to publish a book. And when you talk about, like, the process, like, when you're talking about waking up and not even brushing your hair. <laughs> I, yes. I I had to my, – my hair brushing moment was having to get over the fear of, I don't know, doubt and and – I don't know, just just the fear of publishing a book like that. I held on to that for years, and finally oh, I said, "I have to just do it." Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, just you know, I, I, I don't want to say get it out of the way, but do it so that you you can say that you you were able to publish a book and go through that process and really, I don't know, just feel a sense of pride in yourself, like. Every now and then I'll go back and read, and I'm like, oh, I did this. Like, I I put a book together. Like, it, sometimes it hasn't hit me yet, and then I'll have these moments, and then I'll go on about my day. <laughs> right. Um, but, no, I the poems that are in the book, I think the oldest poem in the book is probably about 10 years old. It's, like, one of my favorite poems called 10 Things I Want to Say to Black Men. And every time I perform that piece, the reactions that I get <laughs> before I even get to the first line, it people are like, "Uh oh, here we go." Um, but it, it's it's actually a love letter. Um, but people aren't expecting that. They think that I'm just gonna go in and rip them to shreds. Um, and I'm like, "No, no, not at all. It's, it's I, not like that." Yeah, I I I didn't really get that feeling at all because you know sometimes like especially after talking to you, I guess maybe I have an insider, <laughs> an insider. <laughs> but, but I I think that's wonderful. Um, I'm trying to think too here what I was going to talk to you about as well. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So this chapter book, is that going to be similar to your upcoming poetry set that you're going to have in the Fringe Festival? Not um, – it's similar in the sense of – I think about six of the poems that are in the chapbook are in this show. Okay. Um, the lineup of the show is different than the way the book is structured, but it does have a similar structure when we start talking about looking at the overall historical, I don't know, um, what's the word I'm looking for, historical influences mm-hmm. in how we live our lives to getting very personal. So I start off Mahogany of Love Letter to Black with a piece that is very much looking at what we've gone through as black Americans and then sure. it ends with a piece about my mama, um, <laughs> Ode to Mama, which the first time I performed that, I thought it was really cute and I made it a surprise for my mom. And oh. she ended up turning into a tomato because she was crying so hard. Um, It it was the cutest thing in the world. Um, And so it it mirrors that structure in terms of starting off with something that is historically broad but still very much affects how we live our day-to-day to to, uh, a very personal poem at the end that's more individualized to my experience but still reflects back to the overall historical context. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you're using history, but you're also incorporating your own story, which mm-hmm. 
too, because um, I feel like we always have to reflect on where our culture started and kind of where we are today and where we want to move forward with that. Definitely. Um, yeah, I I love your title it's for the show. Would you mind explaining it to our listeners and kind of how you came up with that? Definitely. So the title of the show is Inheritance, the Stories We Carry. And I'm always trying to find ways to highlight the word her or woman or some sort of femme identity um, within my titles. I, I, don't, I don't know why. Um, I do I know why because that. that's the representation of me. Um, and I also think women are magic. So yes. finding ways yes. to, like, <laughs> highlight women in my titles is always um, at the forefront of my mind. But the the premise for the show is looking, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you think of the world inheritance, most people think about it when someone passes away, what you gain from, this sounds horrible, gain from their death or what comes down to you um, mm-hmm. or will to you through their passing and we think about it in a monetary sense, mostly. Um, but if you think about, again, the historical content of what black Americans have had to go through over the course of three to 500 years, yeah. we, not, we have not only inherited the, the lack of monetary inheritance, but more of the emotional and mental trauma that that goes with um, one generation to another generation. And so one of the things or one of the examples I can think of is um, sometimes there is a compliment that is given, right? So you could say, oh, you know, your child is so smart, right? Right. Um, But in the – sometimes in the black culture, we downplay the intelligence of another child, Um, And one of the reasons why that is done is if you think back to um, when slavery was taking place, it wasn't a – you weren't supposed to be smart. And if you were smart, attention was given to you and that attention was negative. Oh, I did. So you downplay the idea of someone being able to write, someone being able to read, someone being able to – like you did not want that special attention because special attention – was attached to negative ramifications. I see. So thinking about, like, how we even downplay and don't accept um, compliments is something that is not just something that's done, but there's a reason for it when we start looking back at our own history as to why we don't accept those things. So, yeah, taking a look at, like, the things that we have inherited through generational stories or, or traumas that have taken place and how that has played into where we are today. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, this is so fascinating. And you just <laughs> talked about things that I actually didn't know, um, which I think is great. Uh, you were talking about, you know, how about the compliments and whatnot. And what I, what I love about you is that you talk about this history. And what I like is that, you know, now that we are in a different space here, you are – currently the Senior Education Programs Manager at the Young Chicago Authors. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Okay, absolutely. So what I'm looking at in front of me, this just happened to lead into something that I was thinking about and wanted to talk to you about. Um, You're talking about these workshop topics that you have being in the education program. 
And there's a lot about identity, exploration of the past, deception of oppression, media, assimilation, journey of acceptance, the effects of being raised by a ghost, exploration of the past. Oh, it's like these are all great topics and kind of covering what you discussed. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that you're using in your show, are you maybe practicing these with the um, people that are taking the workshops for the programs? So are you, are you talking about specifically the programs that uh, Young Chicago Authors offers or the the workshops that I the just, yeah, workshops just that I you. do? Yeah, I, it, mm-hmm. I'm just looking at here. Um, do you kind of take, like, some of these poems that you use in the shows and apply them to the workshops that you teach at all? Or is it I, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that <laughs> makes sense. I usually don't use my own work necessarily in the workshops. And so the workshops, I try to take a look at um, other poets and how they have demonstrated or, like, talked about these particular topics. I may – I do this inadvertently, but it's not something that, like, I pull into the lesson necessarily for us to, like, take a look at and break down. But usually when I walk into a space, someone wants you to spit a poem because they want to get to know you and who you are and want to know pretty much if they're going to pay attention to you or exactly. not. Exactly. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So because the the list of topics that you named in my writing, those topics go together and the poems that I'm bringing, bringing into the space go together, they kind of, like I said, inadvertently work out that way. Yeah. But I don't intentionally say, oh, I'm going to, like, perform this poem because we're talking about this topic. I um, that's my own, but I will purposely bring in po- poems from other people. Um, the poet that I, the poem that I usually end up presenting is um, is based on the room and how you know if the room needs to be uplifted, you know I might do my ode to mama poem. Um, if the room is a space where you can tell like the students really want to learn, I'll find something that has a little bit more of a deeper topic. Um, if the room is like, mm, I'm not really feeling it, you know, trying to trying to just find the right piece for the right mood. Gotcha. Really important. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I was just here. It happened to be sitting in front of me, and as you were talking about this, I was like, I wonder if it, yeah. But no, that makes that makes perfect sense actually. So I, I <laughs> love that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're talking about the room, and I mean that goes into just anything as artists. We got to feel out the room and see yes. what the wants and whatnot. Speaking of the room here in the St. Blue Fringe. What do you want your rooms for the run that you're going to have here in the festival? What would you like your audience to kind of walk out with from your set? Mm. One of the things, so one of the things that I am exploring with this show is how freedom or lack thereof plays a part in other people's lives um, Mm -hmm. and specifically my own life or black Americans lives. Mm -hmm. And so I will be asking the question of freedom is and allowing the audience to fill in um, their own definition or relationship to freedom and kind of finding ways to pull that into the show. Gotcha. Um, But that definitely, there's a reoccurring theme of, Freedom, or depending on your definition of freedom, like I said, the lack thereof and how how that that right. works into things. 
Um, I haven't seen the space yet, so this will be <laughs> this will be fun for me because uh, my tech is on Wednesday, and so I'll be seeing the space for the first time on Wednesday. Well, that's kind so. of cool. You and I are actually both in the gallery, and I'll tell oh, you, what, it's pretty cool. Um, it's it's right across from my apartment, actually, so I'm looking right at it <laughs> as we're both talking. But it, uh, it's got all these pretty windows. For those of you who don't know, it's uh, the Cranford Art Center Gallery. They've got, like, a few few venues in there, but the one that uh, both Heather and I will be using is their gallery space. And it's got windows that face the city. So it's actually quite cool that you're talking mm. about freedom and lack of because, you know, we're in the heart of St. Louis where a lot of different issues and opinions are circulating right now, especially about freedom and where we stand even in 2019 and how there mm-hmm. are things that are still very much unfair. So I think that it's actually going to be really beautiful that you're talking about the themes that you're talking about in a city that's kind of very divided at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Heather, you may actually be bringing some kind of unity that you Mm -hmm. may or may not have realized you were doing. It's just like what you talked about. You're like, I didn't mean for my themes to always, like, match the the programs that I work with, but, you know, sometimes it kind of inadvertently happens. So it's kind of interesting since we're just looking at it. Uh, You know, I didn't even think of it that way, but it's kind of true. You know, you're Mm -hmm. almost, yes, like you're – performing and you're sharing your poetry, but you're also probably going to teach us and help us heal in many ways that you might have not realized. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's uh, the hope, because you want to always be able to have, at least I want to always be able to have conversations with someone that before you met them, you thought you were the only person. Granted, there are billions of people in this world, but we always think that we are the only ones. And once we find at least one other person where we know, oh, I've I've also had that struggle with, you know, how my parents named me or why I couldn't get a comb through my hair or the way mm-hmm. in which men, you know, treat women. Like, we, we think we're alone in that. And when we bring it to light and open up the door, it, it, it creates something that you can't even imagine. Absolutely. I, I think that you're you're absolutely correct. I completely agree with you because – I feel like sometimes people get scared to have those conversations because you're absolutely right. People feel so alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I really commend you for giving it a platform and being that brave voice. And especially for people who may feel like that they can't see their themselves through artistry. I think you're really bringing that to light. And I, I really appreciate your work and you doing that. Um, what I also might ask you too, because we talked about your book earlier, is there a particular poem as well in this show or a poet part of your set that you are really excited about and are ready to share that you mind giving us kind of a sneak peek about on the podcast? Yeah. I, so I knew you were going to ask me that question. And I was like, <laughs> which one do I choose? <laughs> oh. Not to put you on the spot here. No, 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 no. So my lovely mentor, Ken Morris Jr., um, mm-hmm. He prepped me for life in terms of putting me in situations where I um, needed to perform for people. So, like, he would just throw me in and be like, go. And I'm like, what? He's like, nope. (laughs) And literally did that for my entire college career. And so now, like, no matter where I am, I am prepared. Um, You said from from the, I know, right? I need to do one from the show. Um, 
Hmm. I usually give people choices. Um, Take time. <laughs> I know. I think I'm going to do the opening poem. Okay. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, this one was actually recently published. Um, and as I, like, go through this piece, the more I go through the piece, the more my body just, I'm, like, just thinking about it right now. I have chills going through my body. Um, I have chills. You haven't even started yet. <laughs> and I have no idea why. I'm like, ooh, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes, we're going to do this one, and then we can talk about it a little bit more afterwards if you like. Sure. So this piece is entitled, Mayasa to Mami Wasa. 1526. We were one, then two, then 20 million drudging to coast. Bounded by iron horseshoe, waiting for splintered lips. We were seized counterclockwise, directed east, cramming savannah with chattel and contracted weapons for new world. We were crumbles, bartered bodies slathered in plague. We were choking from plague, swallowing traded pearls and gunpowder for new world. We were water spirits' daughters waiting to be taken home. We were drowning in vomit and menstrual seeds and traded textiles and rum for new world. We were high-pitched screeches across ocean, whales penetrating sonar, awakening snake, wool-like hair teeth, world of seas lured savannah into deep. Mami Wata received us from Maji. Let statues from prowls plunge. Take us home. Back to bottle caps and browns. Warm. Bursting of ugali and goat. Jollof rice and ginger. Puff puff meat pies and fufu smashing in Mami's burnt left hand. Back to plucking jumbo mangoes raining with spice. Back to harmonious coil picks and mirrors. We waiting on veil to disintegrate shackles in dust ocean's bottom. Fuse legs to make thin. Gallop gills across bruises. Twist indigo and alizarian crimson to safety. We free now. Our breasts float. We gyrate to sacrifice skins in the name of rejoicing. (laughs) We giggle with fish now. This is the best family reunion after flotsam. After dive or flop, our bones snapping in half. We sail underwater. Ta-da. Oh, I, mean, I was like sitting here waiting for more. <laughs> oh my God, Heather, that was amazing. Oh my goodness. I I was definitely in like immersed in it the whole time. I guess I was following the whole story 
I I love what first of all I wanted to point out your rhythm is amazing. Like I it's just like what you were talking about. You were like you had that switch in you and then all of a sudden you're like I can't stop. Like I have you can you can feel the rhythm and I, I felt like if there was like such a great build up from the beginning all the way up to the end. Uh, mm-hmm. why don't you kind of talk about how you got started with that poem and um kind of how you decided on where you wanted to begin and then how you ended it the way that you did. Yeah, definitely. So every year I take time, which is usually really, really difficult for me because I'm always moving. I decided to dedicate a week of my life to going to a writing retreat. And um, I was invited to attend a writing retreat in Door County, Wisconsin at the Clearing. And this was the first time I'd ever participated in something like that and taking a look at, like, what poem we were reviewing. But my mind is always in a magical world. Like, I dream every single night. Um, I see things in clouds, and I'm I'm very, very observant. And I have this thought about mermaids. I I used to love mermaids as a child and started doing research on mermaids and this idea of um there were unfortunately a lot of um Africans who either willingly jumped overboard as they were traveling through the Atlantic slave trade mm-hmm. or were thrown overboard right. and I wanted to imagine a world for them where their lives continued and the way that I envisioned this was through being a mermaid, like what if all of those bodies turned into mermaids and were free? Wow. And started doing research on that and come to find out there, <laughs> there <laughs> is um, a mermaid, uh, depending on like what region of the world that you're in, but there is this magical being named Mami Wata um, who can either live on land or in water and wanted, I wanted to find a way to incorporate those two things um, and ended up creating this mystical piece that allowed for the slaves, the, the, the Africans who were taken to be enslaved um, in America or wherever they might have landed within the slave trade mm-hmm. um, and turn it into the possibility of freedom again this this reoccurring theme um the possibility of freedom through water and through this water deity mommy watson mm-hmm. oh my yeah. i i did not know of this either this is very very fascinating <laughs> I, that is wow i i don't even i'm just like so blown away right now this is really cool i'm i'm really excited for this other thank you for sharing that that's so awesome wow um is there anything else about the show while I still have you here that you'd like us to know? I, I'm i just, I'm really grateful for um, the St. Louis Fringe Festival and just really excited to be St. Louis. It'll be like my third time in St. Louis, but my yes, first yeah. performing. What brought you the first two times? Um, so one of my best friends is in St. Louis, and so... Um, when I can, I would say once a year, but that is not accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, 
I've actually been a couple of times, and so I'm excited to go to Mission Taco. <laughs> oh, yeah. I understand. I Mission Taco. It is one of my favorite things. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just – I am super excited to, to be in that space. And um, if, you know, folks want to find a way to get in touch with me, I'm usually, like, really bad at this, but I'm trying to get better um, in terms of, like, get in touch with me on social media yeah. on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram – my uh, handle is Bluebirds World, and so it's B L U B Y R D S W O R L D um, on all three of those. So again, that's Bluebirds World, but just spelled a little differently. And really encourage you all to like follow me. I am working. I feel like this is going to be the first step in where I'm I'm wanting to go in terms of being able to tour. Um, different colleges and different organizations and do more writing workshops and performances. And I, I truly believe this is going to be the kickoff for it. And I'm super excited for the future. <laughs> oh, my God. I am so excited for you. And, you know, for people who are listening, her website is great. It's got all the things that I was talking about earlier. If you look at Birds World, spelled B-Y-R-D-S-W-O-R-L-D.com, just like she was talking about, that is the place to definitely check out a bunch of her stuff. Uh, my last question for you, on her website, Heather has her two favorite words are balloon and bubble. Yes. Would you mind explaining that? I thought that was a <laughs> Even better than inhale, exhale. <laughs> oh, but okay. Yes, I can. Sorry, I, you don't understand how excited I get. I am so easily pleased. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and my partner for my birthday, so I just had a birthday on Saturday, and he bought me a bubble machine. And yes, <laughs> that is awesome. I, I have a bubble story. machine. I think I'm going to bring it. I'm going to check to see if maybe there's a way for me to like plug it up outside to like attract people to the space. Um, but I, I want bubbles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Absolutely. bubbles. Yeah. Bubbles and bubbles take me back. So I actually wrote a poem. Um, called Elegy for Breath, and it's one of the poems that is uh, that's dedicated to my grandmother. And oh. and he because of her stroke and unfortunately her circumstances of just being very um, I keep using the word evil, but she she just she was hurt. She was when I was eight, I thought she was evil, but now that I'm older, I realize yeah she was just hurting. We and, Right, right, when you get older and have perspective. Um, But no matter how mad she was, the only time my grandmother would laugh hysterically, and I honestly believed that this is the way this woman was going to leave this earth, is when we blew up balloons. And we would blow them, because my grandmother loved decorating for my birthday, and so she would make balloons and, like, cut out. If I was turning six, she would make six out of construction paper and cut them all out and post them everywhere in in the house. And it was something about the balloons after her stroke. Even yeah. was like before, but like after the stroke, she would instantly turn into this lovable, smiley, just full of joy person that I knew that she could be. Yeah. And she would laugh so hard she would choke. And I'm like, this is the way you're going out. And I'm okay with this. <laughs> like, if you're going to smiling, the world is okay. And so when I think of balloons and bubbles, because balloons are for my birthday, 
I mean, bubbles are during my birthday and, you know, balloons also. But, like, sometimes when things just got rough in the house, we'd blow up a balloon. And my grandmother only had one good working hand, but she would swat that balloon all over. And she, as soon as she'd hit it, she'd get, she would laugh hysterically. <laughs> and and it, it was one of the most beautiful things in the world. So those two things just bring me a lot of joy and oh, take me to a place where everything was okay. Absolutely. I mean, I personally feel the same way about balloons and bubbles. They're so. great. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's like, I feel like those are like great, not even just childhood memories, but just like definitely triggers where that brings you happiness. Like you never look down a street and if you see somebody walking up the street with like colorful balloons, you're never like, oh, that's no. disgusting. Like, right. Like, How do you not smile? Exactly. How could you not smile? It brings like such joy to you. And then um, I actually had a friend that just got married and what we did after they walked down the aisle, everybody was coming out for pictures, and we all mm-hmm. got bubbles, and we blew yes. bubbles. And it was like the pictures were so cool with that. But it just, like, just like the small thing of that, like, everybody was so excited and, like, screaming. And, like, you would just tell, like, it was crazy because every, in the pictures, it's like everybody from every walk of life at every stage of life. So mm-hmm. it didn't even matter how young the person was from, like, the little flower girls all the way up to, like, the 90-year-old grandfather. <laughs> like, everybody was having the time of their life. So yes. I you at all. And it's, I, I love that it has the attachment to your grandmother, but you're absolutely right. I feel like it's just like what you were just talking about. Whenever you kind of, you know, you kind of lose that side of yourself, there's small things that kind of bring out that happiness in you. And you're like, that's the way I'm going to go. Bubbles. <laughs> this is going to work. Bubbles. Um, I have this bubble machine, and when I'm having a bad day, I'm turning this on in my house. I don't care. <laughs> It'll make life. Just thinking about it makes my cheeks hurt because I am grinning this so big right now. Oh, my God. No, my chest hurts from the excitement. <laughs> I'm going to bring it with me. We're going to have whether or not we can have it, uh, like, outside the space. You and I can find a place to run this bubble machine, and we can just have five minutes of bubbles and joy. <laughs> very, the Fringe is supposed to be a fun, joyful festival. So yes. That's the plan. Well, just so let's go ahead and plug your show here for a second. We have Inheritance, the Stories We Carry, presented by Birds World, a.k.a. Heather Bird Roberts. It's going to be in the Cranford Arts Center Gallery on the 16th at 9 p.m., August 17th at 4 p.m., and the last show will be August 18th at 7.30 p.m. It is a response to historical, environmental, and familial influences along with the demonstration and the quest for freedom. You can get tickets for this show at stlouisfringe.com. Um, you'll have all the different shows listed, but obviously get your tickets to see Inheritance so that way we can see live what Heather did on the podcast today. Heather, thank you so much for chatting with me. You have been a doll. I'm so thank excited. Thank you so much. I had fun. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for your patience and <laughs> and having me call you and taking time out of your day to talk to me. But this is I'm I'm very excited. And again, guys, look Heather up online. She's listed we'll put in the uh the blurb to all the social media you talked about. But um, I'm going to put up her website. Go ahead, look at her book, buy her book, go support like local I have t-shirts. I have cheap flying t-shirts. <laughs> See, there you go. We got some merch coming out. I we got some merch. <laughs> we got to support our ladies in the industry, okay? Definitely, yes, please. <laughs> well, Heather, you have been a pleasure. I am so excited to tell Matt that I finally got to talk to you, and I look forward to meeting you very soon. Yes, definitely.
Well, get out your bubble machine and go. I am. (laughs) (laughs) So much joy right now. So much joy. I know. My chest literally hurts, Heather. (laughs) But it hurts from joy. (laughs) Right. So much joy. So much joy. Yes. (laughs) We'll have a lovely rest of your day, lady. Thanks so much. You too. Keep flying. You too, man. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.